Greetings, Internet. I'm John Bailey, and on this week's episode of Popcorn Junkie, I'm recording on a dark and stormy Father's Day night as I review Spike Lee's newest movie, The Five Bloods, Hulu's latest original series from two of the guys behind Robot Chicken, Crossing Swords, the Netflix original movie uh, that was initially supposed to be a theatrical release, The Lovebirds, uh, Netflix's original series, Mr. Iglesias, and the SpongeBob SquarePants movie, which I decided to rewatch on a whim. Plus, for Patreon Corner, we're going to be talking about the Netflix series Raising Dion. So let's get started. Salutations, ladies and gentlemen. It's the Popcorn Junkie here for a little Netflix and chat. Oh, right. I think we're already heading into, like, what, month two of no theatrical releases to discuss? So, yeah, we still got new releases coming out, though. They're just on streaming platforms. And one of those ones last weekend was The Five Bloods, which I didn't get the chance to see until this week. And I kind of preferred uh, Black Klansman. I think that one was a much tighter story. Uh, Here, the um, premise is essentially a mix of Apocalypse Now with... um, uh, the treasure of the Sierra Madre with a much bigger emphasis on the latter. Yep, there it is. Told you it was a dark and stormy night. Um, and yeah, it opens with a lot of documentary footage. Like, the first shot is of a Muhammad Ali interview from the time of why he refused to sign up for the draft and enlist in the army for the Vietnam War. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's that, you know, he's definitely playing into that sort of zeitgeist of the black community at the time and then we cut to the present with a fantastic older cast you've got delroy lindo you've got um one of my family's favorite actors norm lewis as one of the guys uh you've got pulling up the cast list here because i can't remember i know delroy delroy lindo is the main reason to see this but you've also got clark peters isaiah whitlock um they're all fantastic and then uh, later on, Jonathan Majors, who's going to be in that upcoming uh, Lovecraft series, if I think for like Cinemax or something, he plays Delroy Lindo's kid. And honestly, uh, if we're going to be, if we're going to break it down here, uh, this is Delroy Lindo's. He's the reason to see this. Uh, he has the biggest character arc. He has the biggest journey. He has the best uh, monologues. It's his movie, to, and he's the reason to see it. Um, he basically plays a very hard-right, um, Trump-supporting conservative who's very much, like, um, you know, distasteful of his time in Vietnam. And then as the movie goes on, we learn why that is. And he gives a phenomenal performance. He gives an Oscar-worthy performance, if I'm being honest. And um, I think he, he, he kind of ultimately steals the show, but that is mainly because everyone else is kind of underwritten. Like there's a there's an there's a subplot about I believe Isaiah Whitlock Jr. having a daughter with a Vietnamese woman, and it turns out that they have a, and it, you know she reveals that their daughter went through some racial stuff there in Vietnam because she is a black Vietnamese woman, and it's it's it you know so it touches on these things, but it never digs too deep into it it's much more about these four guys who have amazing chemistry and then their search for missing gold that they left behind and that they want to return and that's where the treasures the sierra madre bit comes in because it's about how this gold drives them mad and specifically paul who gets really um possessive of his gold and he doesn't they don't want to split it especially when um uh, the sun comes in, but uh, he, Paul especially hates wanting to split the gold, and he's very, very adamant about bringing it back, even though initially what the plan was, um, their sergeant, played by Chaswick Bozeman, it, his plan was to kind of disperse it. It was to share with the black community when they got home. But then by the time these guys get there and get it, they're like, no, nope, that's mine now. I'm taking it. This mine. And one of the guys, I believe Norm Lewis, is the one who who is trying to maintain that idea of like, no, this is what our this is what um, Storm and Norman, the their sergeant, wanted. He wanted them 
He wanted us to bring this home and share it with our people. This is for us. This is ours. And the guys are, you know, kind of holding on to this idea of like, nope, this is mine. <laughs> and it kind of, and then of course there's a big conflict with some local Vietnamese like gang who wants the gold for themselves because they believe, because initially the gold was sent by the CIA to support the uh, South Vietnamese government. And so the Vietnamese gang claims the gold and then and then these guys are all claiming gold, and it's just, once again, greed uh, and money, lust for money being the root of all of this evil. That being said, it just never felt as tight. This is a two-and-a-half-hour movie. This is, this is a long movie. This is pushing, this is almost up there with, um, the, with the Irishman, I believe. Yeah, the one... <laughs> Um, I think that's the one that, uh, Martin Scorsese last one. So, like, Netflix is really chill with these directors coming in just making these huge uncut movies because it, 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 an editor needs to come in and, like, chop a little bit of this up, make the pacing go a little bit faster. I feel like, because, I feel like Black Klansman did better because it had a much tighter story, much more focus, whereas here... Spike Lee kind of has a tendency to go off script and go off on a tangent, and then oh, there he goes. He's he, he's just off on that tangent now. So that's the trip we're gonna take. It's like having a detour, and the driver just keeps you know keeps making these detours, and it's like okay, okay, yep, sure thing. And uh, they're not bad, but it's just like it kind of derails the movie. And um, and the big thing that people are talking about is the fact that there are no younger actors. As the um, as the four guys, the older guys play themselves in the flashbacks. And artistically, the reason is because the idea is that they never aged past that point. Like they are imagining themselves as they see themselves now back then. And then Norm, Storm and Norman never changed to them. That's why it's constantly played by Chadwick Boseman. And there's no they're not remembering, you know, who they were back then. They're they are who they are now. It's an interesting idea. It doesn't quite work because, you know, you got four aging black dudes trying to do action scenes and it just, and Spike Lee, who's not very great at action. Uh, so it doesn't quite work, but it's an interesting idea. Um, the other real major, the other major subplot going around is there's a group working for an, act, an actual organization, I believe, which is, um, I forget what it's called, uh, but basically they work to kind of undo all the mines that have been left throughout warfare and you know being that and you've got mines being left in places like Cambodia you know still in Vietnam and places in Africa because mines were a quick and easy way to just you know to scare off the enemy you know if you know that there's a minefield there then then you know they won't come this way but then when the war is over nobody goes and digs up the mines so this organization goes around trying to help dig up these mines and they get caught up in the whole thing and it's it's interesting but it never really hooked me once again i feel like spike lee can be pretty hit or miss sometimes he can go off on these weird old tangents and then sometimes he can be really direct and to the point and he doesn't he he's not great at subtlety <laughs> he has never been one for subtlety but um but yeah it's it's not bad it's just it feels longer than it needed to be it and uh, kind of overstays its welcome, but uh, you know, for a mixture of Apocalypse Now and uh, Treasure of the Sierra Madre with a predominantly black cast and a story about black solidarity and whatnot, it's not bad. Uh, moving on, we've got uh, something I've been see I had seen um, uh, advertisements for on social media: Crossing Swords. This is from Tom Root and I forget the other guy. But they're two of the guys. Tom Root, you may know if you've ever watched um, Robot Chicken because he's been a major writer and actor on there. And so he and John Harvardine IV, very proper name for a very British, uh, appeal, medieval British sounding series. But uh, Harvardine IV has also been a producer for not only Robot Chicken, but for the Netflix series Buddy Thunderstruck, which is a phenomenal stop-motion series that not enough people saw. Um, this time around, the um, 
the premise here is you've got the same stop motion style animation, only they're instead of like action figures or like you know fully mo- you know fully uh, articulated maquettes. It's um, like little Playmobil figures, and they're the ones going around in this medieval world. And then in true robot chicken fashion, it is just all you know, juvenile levels of humor, you know, like here, all kinds of bodily humor, sex humor, just all, you know, basically anything that'll make a 13-year-old laugh. And, um, you know, it feels very much like they're playing up the swearing and the and the gore and the violence because we're on streaming, we can do it. It's like how people were with, like, HBO and Cinemax back in the day because, you know, because we're not technically... Uh, cable we can do all kinds of crazy things now <laughs> and uh, they don't really hold back and i think that's kind of the and i think that's kind of a hindrance ultimately um it also has a really really solid cast like nicholas holt uh who you may know from he played tolkien he played he was one of the he was the main um war boy in mad max fury road you know he's been a you know he's appearing in a bunch of stuff lately he's a you know he's a very good British actor, plus Luke Evans, <laughs> of all people, they are the main actors. Uh, Nicholas Holt playing this goody-two-shoes squire in uh, trying to become a knight, and Luke Evans playing the, you know, the raunchy, like, gives-no-f's king. Um, but then on top of that, you've got Alana Eubach, who's been a consummate voice actress playing the queen. You've got um, Adam Pally, comedian, showing up as this sort of uh, bro-y, um, uh, like, surfer dude, <laughs> squire. Seth Green is the court wizard. Tony Hale and Adam Ray and Tara Strong all play... Um, the main character's siblings, who are a pi- the pirate queen, a Robin Hood knockoff, and a dr- and a drunken like uh, grifter clown, and like they're the big you know, um, uh, like loved one, like they're the ones that the parents really love because they made something of themselves, even though one is a drunken uh, grifter clown. Um, the parents played by Wendy McClendon Covey from uh, the Goldbergs and Reno 911, and uh, you know, friend uh, Robot Chicken star and friend of Seth Green um, and star of Garfield, um, Brecken Meyer. Forgot his name for a second. But then you've also got Yvette Nicole Brown from Community in here, Maya Erskine, who I knew from. Uh, playing roles in um, Bob's Burgers. She's in here as a recurring role as the princess. Alfred Molina shows up at one point. Ben Schwartz shows up as a recurring character. Rob Corddry shows up. So, I mean, you've got a very solid cast here. But they're very, you know, for somebody as well-versed and as as talented as, like, Tara Strong is playing all these different minor roles, plus her main role, they... She really is like nothing to do. There are very few things going on in this series, and it's all very much like playing up the to the nth degree the thirteen year old grade humor. It's kind of disappointing. So it's like not really clever takes on medieval and fantasy tropes. There's like a couple cool interesting things, like their take on Jack and the Beanstalk was kind of interesting, and then the ultimate like climax was not too bad, but like. I can't even recommend anybody watch this. This isn't very compelling or interesting. It's like, oh, yeah, it's it's kind of cool, you know, from the people who made Robot Chicken. Like, I don't know how good the series is now, but I feel like that's the show seen its better days, too. So, I mean, is that going to sell you on it? I mean, it's going to really win at first, but then it's not going to, like, hook you. I feel like the, um, the Thunderstruck show for Netflix was way better. And not enough people saw that, so we'll see if this hooks around, because they definitely have a tease for a season two. We'll see if that happens. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah. Like, um, that's one of those things you worry about when it comes to shows. It's like uh, movies with sequel baits and then TV series that, ha- that tease a season, that tease what's coming up next season in the final episode. <laughs> and then nothing ever happens. Uh uh, moving back over to Netflix, though, we've got The Lovebirds, which I was actually really interested in. Um, this is the one with Kumail Nanjiani and Issa Rae. Issa Rae from... 
Insecure, I believe is the name of her show on HBO. But she's been on uh, an up-and-coming uh, comedian and actress. Uh, yeah, Insecure is her show on HBO, which I still need to check out. But she was also in Little, the thing with Regina Hall. And what was the other big thing she did? Um, the Photograph, um, which I reviewed earlier this year. Uh, and yeah, she's been... So she's so she's been a kind of a sketch comic actress, and she's kind of branching out now into film. And you know, Camille and Johnny has been a stand-up for for years, and now he's finally starting to become starting to get into film as well. And they have some solid chemistry, but this movie is just not that good. Like I was hoping for something really interesting with the two of them, and especially with the idea of like initially the the trailers were selling like what seemed to be a starting relationship that got that gets reeled into this idea of um secret societies and you know a you know uh, um, getting caught up in a murder um and it's not that um like within the first within the first uh 10 minutes i want to say they revealed that this is a four-year-long relationship on the rocks Center, oddly enough, centered around the amazing race. Like, there's a big ongoing, like, theme of the amazing race. Like, she wants to do the amazing race, and he doesn't think that they're, com- that they're that good, that they're tight of the relationship enough for that to work. And it's like, does anybody even watch the amazing race anymore? Like, is that a thing? I didn't think it was still a thing. I thought we were done with that. So, I mean, how long has this script been on the been you know been hanging around like it is this this is that still the thing people do um but yeah it's 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 a sadly another one of those improv driven underwritten comedies that we've been getting a lot of it's you know the second city uh, upright citizens brigade level of uh, you know school of don't you don't have to write a actual script you can just have ideas and then act them out yourself because you're funny enough you can just make up the movie as you go and that's kind of cool and all you know but that once again even the best improv sessions still need to be fine-tuned you can't just go right off the top of your head you need to have something you know honed and crafted and good you can't just be like oh, Found a, found this you know chunk of gold in the dirt. We're done. No, the, the the thing's useless if it's just unrefined like that. You have to work at it, and I feel like too much. It's it because it's so cheap and so easy to do that everybody does. That's that. It's once again. I swear, Judd Apatow ultimately ruined comedy for us because he proved that you you know hiring all these improv actors to, you know, pad out the script and, you know, make the funnies themselves, now that's the crutch that Hollywood's leaning on, and that's why comedies suck now. We haven't had a really great comedy in a while, and the good ones are few and far between because it's so cheap and easy to do these underwritten, you know, improv comedies anymore. And that's the thing. Aside from Issa Rae and Kumail Nanjiani, like, nobody else in this movie is any good. Nobody is memorable. Nobody is interesting. It's just an underwritten, just throwaway movie. And I feel like that's a shame because you have a Pakistani lead male and a black lead female in a relationship in a movie, and it sucks. (laughs) So it's like, here's this great stride for, like, you know, you know, people of color in leading roles in a romantic, you know, in, a, in this romantic relationship on screen, and you couldn't even bother to make an interesting movie out of it. <laughs> so yeah, it's it's sadly just an underwritten, underwhelming waste of your time. It's not terrible, like it's not like the worst thing I've ever seen, but nothing, not you know, for the few good bits in it, which I honestly can't remember. Like there's one bit where they sing along to firework for. No reason at all, just because. I guess they cut the rights to the firework song so that they could sing along to it for one scene so they could uplift themselves when they felt all sad and junk, and it's just not interesting. It's not, you know, fun. It's not funny. It's just there, and I feel like 
it's a complete waste of these two leads' talent. And I feel like the you know, especially since this is directed by Michael Showalter, who's a very prominent comedian and comedic director. This should have been way better, and it's not. And once again, it comes back to the script. If the script sucks, so is the rest of the movie, no matter how good you make it. No matter how many good actors, no matter how many, how much good, uh, you know, no matter how good the director is, no matter how much effort you put into the production value, if the script sucks, the movie's going to suck. So, there it is. Um, I actually decided to check out um, Mr. Iglesias this week. I had, I'd heard... There was a, there was like a sitcom uh, involving Gabriel Iglesias, who my nephew and I absolutely adore. His stand-up is phenomenal, and I wasn't interested at first because I just heard it was like a t- you know a sitcom surrounded by being in school, and so I decided to check it out. And I'll say this, for a kind of by the numbers laugh track style sitcom, it's not terrible. Like, for the film in front of a live studio audience, like, we're talking old-school-style sitcom. And it's not terrible. Like, it doesn't suck. It's just that style of sitcom. And I feel like if that's not your style of humor, then it's just gonna, you know, not gonna hook you. And, I th- and you know, as much as Gabriel Glace just, ho- you know, weaves in his bits of stand-up throughout the, for, throughout the show... The the rest of it just isn't, you know, all that funny. Uh, this is also uh, made by Kevin Hench, who um, has been an ongoing uh, producer in Hollywood for stuff. I forget what all what other what other stuff he did. Hold on, let me see. Because that's the thing. It says the show was made by Kevin. H- oh my god, the dude is also involved with Last Man Standing. So, yeah. Although he also produced Cristela, well, the Cristela Alonso sitcom that I loved. So, I mean, this guy's got an interesting track record. Um, he's mainly known for working with Adam Carolla. So that's kind of, and that's kind of where I heard his name. But, yeah, his big things are Last Man Standing and now uh, um, uh, Mr. Iglesias. And back in the day, he used to work on The Man Show. Uh, I think he used to do radio or something, too. But, um yeah, he he seems to be much more of the, you know, filmed in front of a live studio audience, throwing the laugh track style sitcom, and it's just not, you know, that's not my style of humor. And, I, you know, I feel like it tries a bit too hard. Although I will say, like, it does not pull any punches when it comes to criticisms of the education system and, uh, you know, issues of, like, poverty and race and whatnot. So, I mean, I'll give it that. It's and in fact, like season two goes even deeper into that. There's a whole episode featuring Joe Coy, a fellow com- another comedian, um, uh, where this girl who's very social justice driven, but it's not like a terribly written way about it. Like she's very passionate about representation and about um, about you know about tr- people streaming, and she has been you know encouraged to you know pursue those kind of options out there you know she wants to fight for the environment she wants to fight for equality and all that and then that's kind of it's a better written social justice driven character than the one in say uh black christmas uh which is very very on the nose kind of almost straw manny version of social justice here it does feel like a kid who is very social justice minded but isn't but that's not her entire character it, she's not a, like a stereotype or anything like that She's a well-rounded character, and um, the whole episode surrounds Joe Coy, who is of Filipino descent, running a taco taco uh, truck. And her whole argument through the episode is that she wants she doesn't want uh, Joe Coy's character there to there because it because there is a previous uh, taco truck uh, seller, you know, entrepreneur, cook, whatever you want to call them, uh, there who was actually Mexican. And then this guy comes in who's not, and he's selling like hotcakes. But you know, people admit that the guy, the previous guy's tacos sucked, and this guy's tacos are good. And the art and the crux of the of the character arc is that she kind of admits that it's okay for this guy to you know sell these interesting, especially they come up with this idea for um, adobo tacos, where it's she provides ta- the tortillas 
uh, from her family, and he provides the adobo from his family, and you've got this blend of Mexican and Filipino uh, cuisine. And so it's you know becomes about not chastising one person or another over things. It becomes more about working together. And I think that's you know it's they handled it fairly well. So I mean it's not a terrible series, but I'll put it like this. You know what it reminds me of? Those really cheesy, played-up um, Nickelodeon and Disney Channel sitcoms. That's what I think is the problem with me, is that so much of, like, kids-level family sitcoms are really overdone. And, you know, it's not that bad, but, it, I mean, the kids in this feel like they were pulled right out of a Disney Channel sitcom. They're that level of, like, ah, we're we're quirky little kids, and here's our personalities, and we're always given one-liners. And it's just like, yep, none of, only one of you kids is actually a decent actor and is actually funny. So, yeah. Uh, Mr. Glacius, I feel like, is kind of a hindrance. It feels like that time that, um... I think Chris Rock tried to do a sitcom too, and you feel it's kind of limiting for these uh, for these comedians because I feel like their humor never really gets to shine in it, and um, yeah, I think that, I, I feel like he Iglesias could do better, but at the same point, like it's fine. I feel like it's a, it's a I think that's the point is that it's a family level sitcom, whereas I feel like um, Cristela was not so much about a fam you know not so much ain't geared at at the whole family. Uh, but as much as just like here's a funny you know here's this woman stand up done in a way that's in the sitcom format and I feel like that was honestly a way better show but uh yeah this is this was fine and then uh I decided to rewatch the Spongebob movie because why not it was on HBO Max <laughs> and um I think the real reason was I've been rewatching these old like Spongebob memes on YouTube where it's like here's Pokemon gym leaders as Spongebob clips and here's this thing as as represented by spongebob and then you know that's a whole subgenre of youtube is taking spongebob clips out of context and then using using the clips to identify like here's this thing this event in history this person this character this whatever and so um i decided to rewatch this the movie and uh, it holds up really well, honestly. The animation is really fluid and energetic. The, um, the, the mix with live action that it gets to towards the end is solid. And, you know, the voice cast, you know, once again, carrying over the, the TV voice cast to the movie, and it's phenomenal. And then um, the story is fun and, you know, and adventurous. And, uh, you know, the overarching theme of being mature while not, you know, but, but what it ultimately becomes about is taking responsibility for things while not giving up on your, you know, childish quote unquote passions, you know, like, yeah, by the end, SpongeBob saves the day by being a goofy little kid. And that doesn't mean he can't take on responsibility. It just means he's, a, you know, he's goofy. And, uh, I like, you know, it's a, it's a very, it's a very, you know, it holds up exceptionally well, especially for, like, a lot of kids' movies that tend not to. And, you know, I, th I think for the movie version of the show, it's a very, you know, it's a, it, it manages to capture the best parts of the show and bring them to the screen in a good way. And, of course, it's just full of memes. Just, like, you've got the, the surprise Patrick meme. You've got so many clips that could easily become gifts and then shared online so many clips out of context that uh would work um it's it, it's so it's it's just so all the all the interesting little punches and once again the humor doesn't it feels timeless it doesn't feel like it's uh, you know of a certain time it feels like it could be released pretty much any time and it would work and yeah it's it's solid um the one thing that didn't really hit home with me is i just don't I just don't enjoy Scarlett Johansson as uh, Misty, Neptune's daughter. Um, I think her name was Misty, whatever it was. Uh, but I think what, and I think that comes down to my fact that I don't like Scarlett Johansson as an actress. I just don't think she's good. Like I, I, I talk it down to she is much more like an old school Hollywood star. 
where they're not necessarily a good actor in that they disappear into a role, but they're a good personality that you like seeing. So she's not a good actress, but she has enough personality that people like seeing her in things. Whereas you compare this to uh, Alec Baldwin as the villain in the movie, um, well, the secondary villain, um, the movie villain, as opposed to Plankton, who is the overarching villain. Uh, but Baldwin disappears into his performance. You don't rec- you know, you recognize it's Alec Baldwin's voice, but he's in character. You don't, you don't, um, you know, you don't, you're not imagining. Oh, that's just Alec Baldwin because. That is the character. And here, all I hear is just Scarlett Johansson. And uh, I just think, I think the only time I actually enjoyed her performance was her. <laughs> and that was just because she she was, you know, being an interesting, you know, giving interesting things to say. I just, I just don't think she's that great of an actor, personally. So, I think she's the main thing that I... Um, that I, you know, that held me back from like really enjoying it. I feel like if you got um, a better actress as the as Misty, that that could work even better. Uh, and that was freaking, uh, almost twenty years ago that that was, and I still find the same issues with her. So I mean, how long has she not been an actress? But uh, yeah. It's um yeah, SpongeBob movie is fun. I still haven't seen the sequel, and we'll see if that when that third one comes out, how much I like it. I will have to see the second one before I see the third one, just so I can complete the trilogy. But yeah, uh, SpongeBob SquarePants movie holds up in case you haven't, in case you've been wondering, and uh, it's on HBO now. Um, if you wanna check it out, so that's the main reviews for this week. And uh, next, we're gonna take a stop over to Patreon Corner. And now a stopover on Patreon Corner. Once again, shout out to my patron Mar, who was an old friend of mine from back in the day, and this time they suggested the Netflix series Raising Dion from last year. Uh, for those of you who haven't checked it out, Raising Dion is based on a comic book from I believe 2015. And um, it takes place in that and 2015 as well. And the premise is you've got Michael B. Jordan as this uh, scientist. I don't I don't forget what they specify his is um, like branch, like what he studies. I don't know if he's like a radiologist or um, not a radiologist, but whatever you whatever it is that studies radiation or if he's a bio biologist or a physicist or whatnot. I forget what they specify, but um. At the start of the series, he has been confirmed to have essentially died in a storm, saving some woman's life. And then as the series goes along, we learn that um, he and his friend, played by Jason Ritter, were studying the, this uh, phenomenon in Iceland. It is essentially kind of equivalent to... Um, how the Fantastic Four uh, got their powers, only instead of going through a you know some kind of ionic storm or whatever it was in the comics, uh, there's this radioactive comet that is uh, emanating chunks that fall to the Earth, and it starts giving people these powers, these abilities, and so Michael B. Jordan uh, is in a relationship with Alicia Wainwright. Wainwright. I want to get her name right, because she's good in this. She kind of carries the series. Um, yeah, Alicia Wainwright, who is kind of, who is best known outside of this for being in that Shadowhunters TV show. This is, she's fairly, you know, she's fairly new to the game. Uh, apparently she was also in some Disney series. Not very, She was on Smosh back in the day for her thing. Uh, she's fairly new. Um to the game and this is kind of her big break beside shadow hunters and she's good she's solid in this um but uh she and michael B. jordan have a kid dion who is um that starts developing these powers and so after he starts developing these powers she begins to investigate what exactly has been going on and as she's going on, as this happens we also learned that we begin to learn that in iceland in 2010, 
everybody who was there for that phenomenon uh, was affected by the radioactivity of the comet's little chunks coming to the Earth. And while the flor while the flora and fauna started developing lesions and uh, tumors and these cancerous, you know, things like you do from actual radioactivity, the humans managed to develop these sort of powers, and it affected them genetically. And so, um, my, you know, some people can turn invisible, and the way they explain it is that they use the ions in the atmosphere to kind of kind of block the light from shining on them so they they appear invisible but they're still there and you know some people can teleport some people can tell use telekinesis some people can control the you know one guy controls the grass and uh ever since then there's been an entity called the crooked man uh way better than the crooked man in uh freaking what was that uh the conjuring 2 <laughs> Um, I think it was, God, that was so stupid. Um, but the Crooked Man is essentially a giant entity made out of lightning. And he, and this entity goes around, finds these people that were, that have these abilities and consumes them. And the big, um, big, uh, draw of the series is finding out who this crook, who is this crooked man? What is this crooked man? Is it a, just a thing? Is it this force or is it a person that's, and is there somebody controlling it? And, you know, we flash back and forth in time from 2010 to, uh, to the early days of, um, I forgot, what, is, what are their names? Uh, Nicole and, uh, where's Michael B. Jordan? Where is he in this cast list? Anyway, it's Mark. Um, Nicole and Mark's relationship, like the early days, we get an even, we even get a flashback to them in college, which is cute. And, um, she used to be a dancer, but had to give things up because of the kid. And so when Mark died in that thunderstorm, which is revealed to be an attack by the crooked man, then she's kind of left as this widowed, as this widow trying to raise this kid on her own. And so she's struggling, going from job to job, while her sister is a much more successful doctor. Um, and so it's her trying to stay on her feet and be there for her kid while this kid begins to develop superpowers. And so he thinks he's going to be a superhero. And Jason Ritter, who is the, you know, who is the, who's the godfather of the kid, and, you know, Mark's best friend, Pat, uh, he encourages this. He's like, he's a big dork who's like, yeah, you get to be a superhero kid. And you, and he he plays into this as well. And then as the series goes on, we begin to see Pat is essentially a nice guy, TM. And for those who still aren't aware of that, <laughs> uh, the nice guy, TM is the guy who thinks he that by being friendly and nice and and you know be, yeah being a friend guarantees you some kind of romantic or in most cases sexual reciprocation and as the series goes on especially the latter half of the season um we see him really get defensive and angry because he is not, you know, Nicole is not reciprocating his affections. And then by the end, he's just like full on nice guy mode. And we begin to see why, because big spoiler for those who haven't seen it. If you haven't, skip ahead to the discussion portion and come back to this when you've watched it. But spoiler, the crooked man is Pat. Pat is Pat is the one controlling this crooked man entity, and he's consuming these people, and he wants Dion, who is revealed to have the ability to kind of heal these radioactive lesions in uh, those affected, he's forcing Dion to try and heal him. But when Dion doesn't oblige, then he decides to take it out on his family and, and everyone else, so... Um, while this is going on, there is this entity called Biona, and it's a it's a biochemical uh, uh, technical firm that Mark and Pat used to work for. Well, Mark used to work for, Pat currently worked for, 
works for during the course of the series, and you're never quite sure how evil they are. They seem evil a lot. They're, they definitely play up the idea that they could, that they're, that they might be evil, but then as things go along, you begin to realize they're not that evil. The reason, like, they begin to actually reveal why they're studying these things and why they want to know about these superpowered things because it it because this incident affected like initially they were just studying weather patterns and whatnot and then this incident happened and then they're starting to realize there's radio you know there's radioactive repercussions for this incident and they're trying and there's even a point where there's an actual lesion on the planet that has been affected by this radioactivity and they're trying to help prevent it from affecting other, you know, light forms around that area. And especially, it could it could eventually envelop the entirety of Iceland and then maybe the planet. So, I mean, they're not essential. you know, they seem evil. They're very secret, you know, very secretive. They're keeping things locked up. Like, what what is their plans? And then they reveal their plans and they're like, oh, so you're not quite evil. You're not good but you're definitely on the right side your methods aren't great you're you're neutral good essentially and then like they but then they have interesting elements of like superhero you know explaining the superhero how superheroes and powers work in this um in this universe the idea that you know once again invisibility is not true invisibility it's hiding using the ions in the atmosphere to reflect to ref to reflect light backwards and that way you're essentially hidden and then you know but then things like telekinesis and transportation aren't really explained but i'm sure you could find you know reasons to explain it it's never just magic you know it's not just powers exist it's there's actual scientific reasoning for these things happening it's just you know done by radioactive genetics which is you know nonsense but you know there's you know at some point you do have to accept the fact that okay here's the reason powers exist now let's see what we do with them and it's interesting it's a very human version of superheroes that's why once again tying back into last week's patreon corner fast color this idea that like superheroes are done and over with and they're boring it's like no no you're just bored of the blockbuster formula superheroes and powers can still be interesting and shows like raising dion and movies like fast color are proof of that because fast color is um an interesting family drama, and Raising Dion is also another family, although more melodramatic, honestly. It's definitely on the melodramatic side. That was my biggest gripe, is the writing feels like a soap opera at times. <laughs> and so does the acting, honestly. But um, I will say the overall story is solid, and I would highly recommend this. This is another one. Like I don't think Mar has given me a bad recommendation for the Patreon Corner this whole run so thanks mar <laughs> but uh yeah um the kid's okay he can be hit or miss um they actually have an actress with disability with a disability uh, i think it's a degenerative bone thing uh play his friend well friend uh initially he's very adamant about her, them being friends he doesn't like her and then by the end of the series he, they're like actual best friends and um she's she's good she's great um that's a nice addition uh, I love Jason Ritter as the eventual villain. And then uh, the big tease is uh, for season two that there there could be a way to bring back Mark. Mark could be able to come back to life because he hasn't essentially he hasn't actually died. But but also the crooked man entity is still out there and it finds its way into another vessel. And without giving that much away, I mean, it's a minor character that you see throughout the series, um, but they hint that basically there's going to be a new Crooked Man controller for uh, for season two, which they have confirmed. So I'm very interested to see when that comes out. But uh, yeah, um, it's an interesting they co they cover things like, you know, personal boundaries and not crossing those and... How they're at, while at the same time, while uh, Pat is overstepping his boundaries with Nicole, uh, Dion accidentally oversteps his boundaries with Esperanza, his, the girl, the girl with the disability, by thinking, 
oh, uh, if I can make her walk, she'll like me as a, you know, she'll think I'm cool. And she's like, no, please don't, don't use your powers on me. This is not cool, dude. And he freaks out because he didn't mean to be like that. And he didn't mean to, you know, make her, make her not like him even more. And so the, the the last couple of episodes are about him wanting to make amends with her because he realized he overstepped his bounds. And it's really interesting. It's really interesting. I do feel like the kid kind of plays Dion a bit on the younger side. I don't know. I feel the kid feels like Dion is more like six, but he's supposed to be eight. I don't know. Uh, but at the same point, like it's not terrible. Uh, this is pretty solid. It's a it's a fairly solid series, and yeah, if you haven't yet, please go check it out. It's a really solid, especially if you like superhero stuff like me. I'm a sucker for this. This is a really solid series, and uh, here's hoping season two is just as good, if not better. So we're gonna take a quick break, and when we come back, we're gonna have another discussion about the theaters coming back. Hey, do you like Pokemon? Yeah. Do you like Dungeons and Dragons? Yeah! Well, what if I told you, you could have them both together? That sounds, uh, a copyright in French. Don't mention that. I mean, um, yeah. Then check out Dungeons & Dragon Types, the D&D 5th Edition Actual Play Podcast, where the players are Pokemon trainers, and all the battles are between Pokemon. There will be evil organizations to fight, Pokemon gyms, Contests, all in a whole new fan-made region. Don't miss out on the fun. Listen to Dungeons and Dragon Types, available only on Gumby Cat Networks. As a podcast that started out reviewing new releases in the theaters, I can tell you that this quarantine has been a definite um, hurdle, I'll say. And uh, so when uh, the announcements came this week, I still get uh, updates from Cinemark. And the announcement came from the CEO himself about their plans for reopening. I, I'm not going to lie. I was, I'm still a bit uh trepidatious on this because numbers haven't gone down they've only gone ri- risen and nobody's really taken this whole thing seriously in the states so the idea of having another outlet for that to, re- to for the for the for the human malware as uh my buddy Nash buddy uh as my uh as uh Nash over at Radio Dead Air uh he may be buddies I don't know um we're we were mutually we're like uh, acquaintances, uh, I'll say that, <laughs> but, uh, as Nash calls it over on Radio Dead Air, the human malware, uh, the Backstreet Boys concert, as the Game Grumps call it, um, so, you know, the, but, uh, I gotta say that, um, I'm kind of excited to get back to the theaters, but only because for Ohio, it's not gonna be for another month, well, not month, like half a month, a couple weeks, but uh, at the same point, like they're really adamant about bringing it back for Tenet, for Tenet, uh, the the new Christopher Nolan movie, and I feel like setting a hard deadline is not going to be good, especially if you know numbers keep going up and we have another and we have an even another big surge in the lead up to the theater in, in to that weekend. What's the point of opening up theaters for Christopher Nolan if everybody's going to get sick? But um, but yeah, basically Cinemark sent me an email um, through their newsletter, and the idea is that they're going to slowly open up individual locations slowly based on local ordinances. And on my schedule, on the schedule, they listed um, my local Cinemark isn't going to be opening up until mid-July for Tenant. And um, they did list a plan for um, how they're going to handle, uh, you know, the Backstreet Boys concert, the human malware. Um, number one, they're going to treat high touch and concession areas. Uh, with, uh, they're going to sanitize them every 30 minutes. Uh, seating is going to be sanitized before every screening. 
There's going to be an on-duty cleanliness and safety monitor uh, at every location. Uh, hand sanitizer and seat wipes will be made widely available. There's going to be reduced seating capacity and staggered uh, showtimes. So seats are going to be apart for showtimes. And since they're already a theater that, uh, since their theaters already have, um, um, what's it called? Uh, um, assigned seating, you know, where you get your ticket and you're assigned a seat that's going to make things easier to enforce. Um, and, uh, so that way they, you know, they split the seats apart for each showtime. They can only sell, um, you know, so many tickets per showtime and then they're staggering the showtimes so that you're not coming in at, you know, at the same time for multiple movies. It sounds like enforced six foot distancing, uh, restrooms are going to be sanitized every 30 minutes. Employee pre-shift wellness checks will be in place to make sure that employees aren't coming in sick. Uh, employees masks and gloves will be changed regularly plus frequent hand washing and then face masks are recommended in lobbies hallways and restrooms and this is the part that kind of gets me i feel like they should have the you know i know it's a texas-based thing so they're not so like having it even recommended is you know big of them coming from texas who's just like we don't care who for the who statewide is like we don't care uh but i feel like they should have the nerve to be like no you know what no Face masks are required. You come in here, you come in with a face mask, no questions asked. I mean, we can provi- they can provide them if they want, but if you're coming in, it shouldn't be recommended that you wear a face mask. It should be required. Like, that should be the minimum. Um, they also don't mention, there was a big rumor going around uh, during, like, May, I think, of TSA-style check-ins. There's nothing, no mention of that. So that's good. And I'm guessing they're going to continue the um the to not use the re- cinemark i know specifically had reusable buckets and cups that you brought back every single time and you paid like a, a fee to refill and i'm guessing they're gonna hold off on that for the time being and then of course um uh there's and then the, the big thing is what are they going to show since there hasn't been in you know new releases well, they're going to show some classics. They're going to bring back Jumanji 3. They're going to bring back Get Out. They're going to bring back Back to the Future, which is interesting. They're going to bring back The Matrix uh, and Mad Max Fury Road, both of which will be shown in XD. And then they're also going to show Mean Girls. So they're going to have, like, you know, here's some of your old favorites. You get to see them on the big screen again. It's going to be, like, a nice new re-release for these things. And, um, you know, kind of trying to get things up back up and running again. But, um... As, as much as I'd love to get back to the theaters, I'd be lying if I felt like this This is too soon. This, we're, we're pushing it. Um, gr- granted, I'll say this. At least they're for my area, they're not, it's not going to be for another couple of weeks. But even then, just like even here in Ohio, like there's just, like, there's just too many people not going around with masks. God knows that they're washing their hands. It's just like nobody's doing anything to prevent the spread except the businesses. The individual people don't, couldn't care. And it's just like, it feels like we're really testing it. And, and I don't know. Eh, I'm, I'll say this much. When they open, I'll take a look around. I'll take a look. Maybe I'll see one move. Maybe I'll see one thing with my mask and 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 making sure I'm you know washing hands before I go and before I leave and having hand sanitizer with me and being precautious just to see what it's like and to report back but at the same point like I do feel like and this is this goes even bigger than the entertainment industry like they're talking about production reopening on Jurassic Park on Jurassic World 3 and it's like what you like I get it you want your money you want to you want to you want to keep things rolling and you want those machines to get back into motion it's it feels like you're pushing it it feels like you're overlooking the fact that there's still the the virus going around the human malware the the, the backstreet boys tickets just keep selling god I love that analogy um but yeah it it feels like it feels like a bad idea. It feels it feels very much like the mayor from Jaws and the guy, the screenwriter, and I think he, or the um, 
the the novelist who created the character has commented on it feeling like oh my god this was supposed to be a parody it's supposed to be mocking the idea of the mayor who doesn't care who cares more about business than safety and it shouldn't have been like reality this should have been like a farce but nah it, this is reality now we're being everything's being run by the mayor from jaws only instead of sharks it's a, it's a virus that does devastating damage to the lungs <sighs> oh well i i don't really have much else to say on it but um i am cautiously optimistic i do want to go back to theaters i can't i love the theatrical experience i love going to the cinemas but I feel like we're pushing it. I feel like we're pushing it too soon to really be opening things back up. I feel like we're not we haven't done enough to warrant things opening back up again. And people are pushing this again because well we're not even though plenty of people have been making money, not enough people have been making enough money, so we got to get things back up and rolling even though nothing's been done. Uh, so yeah. All I can say is, if you there, you should never feel any reason to go to the theaters. You know, no matter that Tenant movie, that can wait. You know, I might check it out, but once again, I'm gonna take every single precaution. Washing washing hands before I leave. Washing hands before I before I, you know, come home. Keeping my mask on as often as possible, and. Just taking every precaution I can because we need to take this seriously or else it's not going to go away. So be safe out there, folks. And uh, that about does it for this week's episode, which means it is time for the plugs. <laughs> Full on Bambi whiplash there, almost. You know, big serious discussion about the human malware. And then, hey, jaunty tune about all the plugs hey uh if you're listening to this podcast you're most likely listening to us on our homepage at gumbycatnetworks.com and if you want to keep up to date on all the new episodes as they come out you can do so by whitelisting us on your ad blocker and favoriting us on your web browser you can also check out all of our other fine programming we've got dungeons and dragon types the actual play D podcast that features the world of pokemon uh as instead of the the usual fantasy monsters, you've all we're gonna try and get living in the stacks um, microfiches out soon. Um, I'm I'm hoping to get back into reading once things have started to settle down uh, here at uh, Stately Bailey Family Manor. Um, but you can also check out Donna's stuff uh, at the Snarkcast. Uh, once more with feeling beyond the cabin in the woods, the family business. And if you're yourself our podcaster and would like to join our fledgling little network, you can do so at Gumbicat by sending us uh, inquiries at gumbicatnetworks uh, at gmail.com. And then if you are, uh, you can also find us on your various podcast providers, Google play, iHeartMedia, Apple podcasts, Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify. And then if you could leave a five-star rating and review, let people know that you like the show and that they should check it out as well. That'd be great. You can also find us on social media, facebook.com slash popcorn junkie, twitter.com, uh, at corn junkie pod letterboxd at letterbox D, which is a movie, um, chronicling and like review site. It's fun. Uh, the guys from now playing around there. I think uh, a couple of other major um, review, movie reviewers uh, around there. There's even their own personalities just within the site. It's a lot of fun. We talk about you know to review and chronicle movies. You can do so yourself. We're just like review the movies that you've been watching lately and talk about them. And it's I like Letterboxd, um, but you can find me there at Corn Junkie Pod. Uh, you can follow me on Instagram at Popcorn Junkie Podcast, and then you can find me on Stardust at uh, Popcorn Junkie, and then um, you can also support the show on Patreon if you can, like uh, Mar, if you want to suggest content for me to review, have access to the Make Better Movies and Munch Alongs, and then maybe even um, make suggestions for those. Uh, so, like, if you want, I, I'm thinking if there's a week I don't have a discussion, um, there isn't anything major to discuss, I might try to bring back Make a Better Movie as, like, a segment instead of its own show. We'll see. But um, if you want to, you know, help suggest content for the show and support the show for as little as $1 a month, you can do so at Popcorn Junkie at uh, Facebook at Patreon.com slash Popcorn Junkie. And, uh... 
you know, you get access to episodes early and then help suggest content for the show. And then if there's anything else you want to say to the, say to us, you can send uh, anything, send your thoughts to popcornjunkypodcast at gmail.com. And if you want, I can read it out on the mic. Otherwise, I can just get back to you. So that does it for this week's episode. Until next time, I'm John Bailey. And once again, all I ask is that you folks stay safe out there. The theme song for Popcorn Junkie is Funky Popcorn by The M. Look at Funky Popcorn by the letter M on SoundCloud for more of their music. Artwork provided by Nafio, N-A-F-Y-O. Look up nafio.deviantart.com for more of his artwork. And once again, today and tomorrow, now and forever, Black Lives Matter and trans rights are human rights. <laughs>